Welcome to Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. This episode, we are joined by Joel Radikin, Workplace Strategy Leader of Real Estate Facilities for TD Ameritrade, and Patrick Donnelly, Workplace Client Leader and BHDP Shareholder, to discuss the workplace paradigm shift in the realm of COVID-19. I am your host, Brian Trainer, a workplace strategist for BHDP, and I'll let our guests introduce themselves further. Yes, I am Joel Radikin. I lead workplace strategy for TD Ameritrade. I have been in the world of workplace strategy most of my career, going on 25 plus years, working with companies like American Express, Capital One, where I met Patrick Donnelly, and have run a consultancy where I helped dozens of large organizations transform their conventional workplace into high-performing work environments. That's really great. Thank you, Joel. And as you mentioned, Patrick Donnelly's with us. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, Brian. It's Patrick Donnelly, principal <laughs> at BHDP, founder of the strategy business here at BHDP, and uh, spend most of my days doing integrated design, primarily for workplace clients, and uh, really excited to talk about something actually Joel and I have been talking about for years. I had the good fortune of meeting Joel early on in my journey to understand, learn, teach, and practice workplace strategy. Joel was one of the foremost thinkers way back in the Capital One days of future of work. So we're talking about the future of work. It is in a post-COVID-19 world. And Joel, we brought you in because you and Patrick had had an interesting conversation before. Also, you were working together on something that led to him saying, hey, we need to continue this conversation so everyone can hear. So COVID-19 has caused an adoption of new ways of working overnight. What are the things that have changed? I just wanted to say that the topics are many and varied, and there's extremes of thought on the same topic of differing points of view. And some things I think we all agree on is that it was amazing to watch hundreds of thousands of corporate office workers go home to work basically overnight in, in just a matter of a few days. If you would have asked me, is that possible before COVID? I would have absolutely said no. Uh, it is heavy lifting just to get a pilot going of some type of new distributed work or work at home program where there might only be a few hundred people involved. So the game changer was personal safety. The idea that, hey, I will be safer in this kind of situation and in that kind of situation, you don't need any change management. And uh, I think that's a big aha for us in the future. And I do believe that that's going to be a, an ongoing mantra for culture, corporate culture, reminding people of their need for personal safety and being safe towards each other. But what we don't necessarily know what's going to happen or have an agreeing point of view is what's the new workplace of the future going to look like. And that's, I think, the learning process is uh, going to be really fun in our future as we see people come back and learn what they need to be successful. And that co-creation lab structure or design think structure, where you start from a place of empathy 
and really try to put yourself in their shoes. What are they trying to achieve most? Not just productivity, but all these other topic areas. And then how do we develop problem statements out of that that help guide the thinking for decisioning? and uh, delivering results. I'd love for you to, to give our listener some insight yeah, into how you use the, the co-creation lab methodology that BHDP created with Cornet. And actually, Joel was with us a couple of times, including Anaheim last fall. You actually took that methodology and did what we would hope folks would do from a global summit took that methodology into your organization, ran your whole team through a co-creation lab, and you were ready for folks to come back or at least had a strategy to do so within weeks of being sent home. Is that right? That's right. We, You know, by the time the first week of March happened and we were all like freaking out, <laughs> yeah. I, I was watching CNN and I mean, it was dark. <laughs> yep, and sure. uh, I thought, I got to shift my attitude here. What can I do? And I said, what, how in the world are we going to go back? And, uh, you know, people, you could hear tiny whispers in the background of people wondering, what will the return to office look like? And that got me going. So I've, I got all my leadership together and ran them through multi-day brainstorming sessions, an hour a day. And we just pick up where we left off and carved out the time we could to make it happen. And we started with empathy. What would you need to feel safe to return to the office? Mm. What would you want to see others doing? What would, how would you want to be a good neighbor? What are you most afraid of? And then that formed us into groups of products, the sanitizer dispensers and what have you, the service and amenities, mail, food, printing, shipping, all those are going to change. And then into the third category of signage and mm -hmm. instructional wayfinding and all that kind of how to behave, the workplace yeah. guidelines that have to accompany that. So it's all reinforcing the same points over and over. So people are prepared before they come back. They know how to behave and there's reinforcement going on in the work environment. So that was how that all evolved and now we're in the middle of delivering it and we were ready by the end of march and wow. didn't need to be but we were and very few things have changed from our strategy between the end so of may and the end of march many of our businesses many of our clients are realizing the power of design thinking and the power of workplace strategy to actually solve some of these challenging problems and create strategies that can really work. That was always our hope, that you can apply this design thinking methodology to a business problem, leverage those tools to rethink and invent in new ways. And it's a great example that it actually does work. So that's exciting to me. We always knew the power was there. We had anecdotal evidence. Uh, we had case studies of where it worked, but it was never kind of a universal approach that was accepted as a way of finding a pathway through a challenging time. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question, Patrick, how you came together to solve the problem before other people were offering their solutions. And yeah, that was a really fantastic way to work through that. And starting yeah. with empathy first. Right. Cornet, a professional organization of corporate real estate leaders, is 
interested in trying to figure this out as well. So they formed up a group with companies like BHDP and and others as sponsors to form hackathons where we had, goodness, over a thousand people were on 10-person teams going down varied lanes of thought around physical wellness or distributed work or manufacturing environments or healthcare. There's all sorts of different topics of this world of work that we're in that uh, are going to be affected permanently as a result of COVID-19. And I think that's where Patrick and I got really excited is uh, sharing stories about what we were hearing and what our teams were, were actually delivering. Joel and I had two teams that were actually studying the same thing, so well-being in the workplace. And so when we connected to have a conversation of what was going on, within design thinking, the design profession, and what Joel is responsible for at TD Ameritrade, we realized that we were going down the same path in the hackathon and trying to understand from a health and well-being standpoint how that's going to change a day in the life of every worker. And that workplace journey has changed for good relative to remote work, but remote work doesn't really cover everything. All of us know what technology can do now, and certainly it will improve. But not everybody can collaborate solely through conversation. I mean, there's lots of opportunities to share information in a variety of different ways, but it's hard to substitute for co-locating great minds to come up with new ideas, co-locating information in a place where you can all share and understand it at the same time and then build on each other's ideas. I think today and into the future, there'll be far more remote work because the resistance has been taken away to Joel's point. The question is, what does the workplace then become now that that's been enabled through this crisis? Yeah, what's its purpose? You talked too about the hackathons. Can you tell me a little bit about how that worked? Uh, Joel, what was the session like? What did you guys do? Yeah. So I had this collection of people who had never met or worked with each other before. And we just brainstormed on the topic, like Patrick said, of workplace well-being. And we decided that instead of going wide and shallow and hitting all the varied aspects of health and well-being, in the workplace, we would focus in one particular area that we all had some passion around, and that was mental wellness. Mm-hmm. We feel that people isolated at home or even stuck with family, especially young families, are going through several levels of torment <laughs> as they try <laughs> to figure out how to work and, and how to stay sane and distraction-free high-performing, being able to concentrate or collaborate effectively. So we put together a three-prong approach to help your mental wellness, two of which I think are achievable. The third one I, I worry about. So the first is just personal mental health, taking a quiet moment just for two minutes and meditate or pray or do some quiet time to still the voices. And if you can do it in nature, it's even better. A second practice is deep breathing exercise where you breathe in through the nose for eight seconds and then out through the mouth for eight seconds and then just pause for a second and then repeat. And if you do that two or three times, it's amazing 
how you instantly transform your brain into a flatter state, which helps calm things down, especially if they're getting hectic. A third thing is just being able to get out. Don't sit in a room getting all pasty all day long or moldy. Uh, if you, if what, do you have a camera a in my house? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it's good for mushrooms, but it's not good for people. So uh, if you can walk and do these kind of out and about little jaunts, uh, they really help freshen up your mind. And these are what they call little mental tricks that in the EQ kind of training, they, they give you all sorts of others. You can look there. They're kind of mind hacks. They're too small to fail. Now, the second topic that I think is achievable is workplace wellness. So and that's going to lean heavily on technology, new kinds of sensors and apps to help each other find each other, find spaces, share information, access information, more approachability of things, more control over your work environment, lighting, heat, uh, HVAC, sit stand height. All these kinds of things will help us have more choice and control and freedom, frankly, to move about when, where, and how we want to. But the third one that I'm really worried about is social. The six-foot separation, you know, physical distancing, social distancing, is putting this layer of fear on top of us getting together that really harms our ability to have those instantaneous, sporadic, ad hoc type interactions where we meet somebody in the hallway or the restroom and just spark an idea that wouldn't have occurred otherwise. And so that, that kind of layer of water cooler slash ad hoc creation is needing to be retained. We have to be mindful of calling people just out of the blue and saying, Hey, just, just thinking of you, how are you doing? Having lunch with people virtually or a a shared coffee break remotely, having a buddy system where you just check in with somebody. I mean, it's not the same person every day, but you have some regular people that you're checking in with that can help get the wheels spinning a little bit more. I mean, we all know how important social engagement is to your sense of success. And if you start losing engagement with the corporation, you unplug and work performance as well, And it's not good for mental health. And so all of a sudden people are leaving and finding new jobs or going other places. We got to retain social connectedness for engagement and more importantly, innovation and creation. Yeah, Joel, I heard you use one of my favorite words, connectedness, which is not necessarily the strengths finder definition of the attribute connectedness, but long we felt that connectedness was the key to telework or remote work or getting people to adopt these new behaviors that would free up not only the real estate because it's more lightly populated and we've seen the underutilized workplaces prior to the pandemic, but we were always focused on technological connectedness, right? Will I be able to connect back, get my information, talk to people, do those things? It's almost gone 180 degrees now because now we know we can, we have the technology, it's improving day by day, actually, the responsiveness of some of these companies to improve their technological connectivity or communication tools. Now it's 180 degrees, can I stay? What about connectedness socially? What about connectedness to the culture? What about connectedness to the mission and vision? And that's social connectedness. 
and definitely impacts mental, emotional, social wellness, but also people's effectiveness, their productivity, and most importantly, their engagement, because engagement drives all those things. How engaged am I in the mission? How engaged am I with other people within the organization? How engaged am I in delivering results in my job, right? So it'll be interesting to see as companies begin to focus on that more, how that'll evolve the nature of work. You both at some point had mentioned change. You talk about connectedness and you're talking about future state or things that you can do now. One of the things I want to think about, though, is what's happening with COVID-19 is this is a disruption. It's a change, sure, but it's on the scale of a global disruption. Now, you know, when you want to innovate, disruption is sometimes good. So are there some potential long-term changes that might come out of this for the global workforce? Or what are some of the things that we're going through that might be more permanent? And what's that impact on innovation or even remote work for the workplace of the future? Thanks, Brian. I'm Patrick, if you don't mind, I'll jump in on this one because it's a passionate topic for me right now. I'm excited about the future and what this can bring. The reality of working at home, like we said, is permanent. That's a real reality now, to the point where we are asking people not to dismantle their home offices as they phase back into the office. We need to enable people to be able to instantly, without hassle, stay at home, especially if they're not feeling well, for goodness sakes. you know. So right. uh, we got that real-time situation now. And I don't think that's going away. Right now, we're planning on 25%-ish coming back to the office in phase one, maybe bringing it to 50%, and that's over the next year. Wow. So yeah. we're talking two, three, four years before maybe we feel comfortable enough going beyond 50% occupancy. Now, Patrick mentioned a really interesting question. Why, what are we going to do with our built environment? Why have a bunch of empty desks sitting around just for buffer as people occupy the space? We'll probably use a checkerboard type layout where there will be at every other desk or every third desk. And, you know, that's a pretty expensive buffer, whole desk yeah. that's sitting there <laughs> empty. So why I'm excited is that when I was working with people, experts like Patrick in the past, creating the future of work, we were really pioneering activity-based work and on-site mobility, flexibility, and the whole work anyplace, anywhere environment coexisting simultaneously so that high levels of desk sharing and movement was with the person to pick the kind of setting they needed to perform the tasks they were performing best. And now, what are those tasks? Why is somebody coming into the office? Why would you even come into the office? Right. You know, it's a, it's a hassle. You, you can avoid that whole commute. Now that there's trust and permission among management that allows workers to comfortably work at home, why make the journey? Well, it's probably to work with others. You know, you're not creating a place to come in and work alone. You can work alone anywhere. So if you're creating an environment to work together, how do you do that safely? And what kind of space types are going to be most effective in supporting that? I started by saying when I worked with Patrick back in Future of Workdays at Capital One, 
why I got excited back then is we were creating a, a kind of workplace strategy that the furniture industry didn't have product yet to support. <laughs> and we kind of <laughs> had to push them over the last 15, 20 years. And now there's some great stuff out there. I mean, just fantastic solutions for activity-based work. But now we got this whole thing post-COVID work, and we don't know what that is yet. We got a lot of learning. We're going to have to phase people back in and watch and learn and see what, as people are embracing agile project team methodology and other types of project work together, that might require space types to flex from individual work to group work to teamwork to neighborhood. We might need to be creating an environment that is filled with muscle that can just flex instantly into supporting all sorts of different kinds of work. And I don't think we're there yet as a furniture industry. I think there's a lot of exciting opportunity for organizations to really test and pilot some new ideas. I'm glad that you're excited about it because I know I was too. And one of the things you know, we're working on in my team is how can we create a virtual war room? You know, how could we create a place where we can collect all the artifacts during the life cycle of a project that are easy to reference to because it's something that's visual, that you can look and see, you know, what's missing, what's next to be done, and, you know, come back quickly that anybody can interface with. So it's not static, it's alive. And the possibility of that just excites me. Patrick, did you want to add to Joel's comments as well? Yeah, just a little bit. I keep asking myself the question, what does the physical workplace give us that you can't replicate with remote technology? Right now, we're working effectively, 100% remote. Many, many organizations, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people around the world. And it's the first couple of months of this with groups of people that we know because we were in the workplace that we had built trust and that we're going through this together. What happens when a company wants to grow or shrink or change their mission? A lot of that's going to happen too as a result of this. Where do you then build the trust? Where do you build that social connectedness we were talking about before? And maybe you can with a new generation of worker that's more agile with technology, but I don't think so. I truly believe that you're going to have to create places where people catch the culture. In fact, on a recent Trends and Tensions roundtable, we did a series of scenarios on what the future might be. One of those scenarios was a scenario we called Catch the Culture. And it was a place that actually in the narrative in my mind's eye, sounded a lot like what Joel was excited about, which is this agile, flexible, robust tool for work and interaction and collaboration. And it's a magnet for people. I think we're going to need magnets for people because you have to be so deliberate about coming into work and you have to be dealing with a lot of, you know, fear and unknown. So I think The combination of having these very robust and interesting physical design ideas are going to have a companion. And I would say that companion is going to be equally robust communication that helps make the unknown known. Most of the resistance to change is fear. Most of fear is fear of the unknown. Communication 
if we increase it, make it better, make it more transparent, make it more two-way, asking questions of people about their concerns or what they need in this physical work environment. Um, I, I need it just because I need people. I'm a very social person. I've never been more productive in my work life, but I'm not that happy because I need people. <laughs> um, That's an interesting uh, paradox. <laughs> I'm extremely productive and very unhappy. <laughs> it's it's I, quite uh, the, the paradox. But how do we do that? How do we enable people to feel safe, to understand the new protocols and then leverage these new places pre and post vaccine in a way that enables the transformation to happen? Because right now, what we've gone through is extraordinary from a technology standpoint. We're physically separated, but we need to stay socially connected. Mm. I have an interesting question here. Do you think that some of these changes, because you talked about culture a little bit, we've talked about mental health and keeping people safe. Do you see this fostering some really cool corporate work plans? What new and interesting things could happen as a result of this? There's two spaces that we began design on and actually will be complete in time to help the workplace come back to the physical workplace after the pandemic that had a lot of thought put in to the things Joel is excited about. They're very flexible spaces. Some are like a library with a very intended physical environment to support a certain type of work. There's also very open, very flexible. Walls are flexible, furniture are flexible. You can put these spaces together in a variety of different ways for a variety of different groups. And in the early days of coming back to the workplace, will probably stay closed and probably be for smaller groups. But the client is seeing this as a place where you can actually bring people back in and help them learn to work differently using space as a catalyst. So these ideas that happened before the pandemic will now be tweaked or refined. And these spaces could potentially be spaces that people come through to learn new ways of working. And we're talking about the narrative or the day in the life narrative for that now. Uh, How might you use those spaces rather than just going back to assign seat that is cleaner than it was before or is cleaned multiple times a day, right? So that I can be there. I'm gonna be there for a different reason than sitting at a desk. You nailed it on the head, Patrick. I wholeheartedly agree with everything you just said. I, I do believe that people will come back into the office because they hunger for each other, the camaraderie, the team, sense of team. I don't think that everything is going to be like 100% assigned and not shared. I think that's relatively impossible, especially if you have a large contingency working from home that occasionally will need to come into the office. And then you realize we still have our existing paradigm of 50% or more of the desks are empty at any given time throughout the day. Mm. So it's very, again, a very valuable resource. And along with our industry having to learn how space needs to flex to accommodate individual team and group kind of need as they learn and evolve, I think people are also going to overcome their fear of shared space, and it'll be kind of like fitness equipment where you you step onto the treadmill, you wipe it down before you even get going. And then when you're done, you wipe it down to be a good neighbor to someone else. Then the janitorial staff 
can really do better cleaning, wipe down, or disinfection because there's not all this personal junk all over everywhere. So I do think we eventually, although right now the optics are so bad on shared desking that companies who haven't ever gone there before are going to shy away from it. But eventually, I think the only way the future workplace will be as effective as it can be is we overcome and figure out how to manage the fears related to sharing and not just desks, but large meeting spaces, informal social spaces, the cafes, uh, all that. We're, we're going to have to get really good at creating a sense of uh, safety and comfort there for people and providing as safe an environment as we can. But it will be risky, especially in this near future time. People will be taking risk as they come into the office. And, you know, one of my fears, and this is kind of on a different tangent, but one of my fears is that people kind of drop their guard. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but if you're in the grocery store, when you first walk in, you're scared to death of being within six feet of somebody. You're hyper vigilant, And then by the end of your uh, zigzag maze through the grocery store, you're just standing next to you. I mean, you're, you drop your guard and that's only a 20, 30 minute trip. Now, if you're with people all day long, they're going to start standing next to each other and because it's just normal and we're social in our nature. So we're going to have to figure this thing out. We're going to have to figure out how to enforce politely and do that while we're doing what Patrick was talking about, trying to protect and reinforce uh, a stronger culture on trust and safety and permission and the values that the organization may have that they aspire to be. Protecting the culture right now is going to be a real tough job for leaders of an organization. The question I ask myself is, what about the 50% of the population on any given day long term that's going to stay remote? Not a lot has been written about that, about making them effective. And I think having tools for productivity, having the right technology is part of it but also being able to interact and making choices about how you deliberately come into the office, meet with others, stay connected to your team, where there'll be new roles that are established, a concierge for a team of people that knows where everybody's at at any given time, right? Or will communication technology take care of that? How do you begin or at least continue to lace that social connectedness together when we don't all sit in the same room now? But I think no. there's um, improvements that can be made to protocols and improvements that can be made to work and work methodology that can create a more effective work in a population that actually is larger and will continue to be more remote than before. Thanks for that, Patrick. The last thing that I want to ask you both, you know, with the Cornet hackathons and some of the roundtables that have been at attended, the findings of those hackathons, how do they mirror life? in a new paradigm, and what are some contributions of those roundtable sessions to the knowledge community? I will say that a lot of the hackathons, because they were done during peak COVID quarantine time, weren't necessarily answering all the questions, but rather forming the right questions to ask in the right topic areas. So you will see if you go out onto the Cornet site and can gain access, hundreds of reports uh, fairly topical and with guidance and statements around the problem areas of what needs to be overcome. However, there are several of them that have great kind of near-term solutions around 
how to maintain social distancing, how to provide sanitizers, dispensers, wipes, floor queuing, signage, how to make the flow of the office work well from the front door to the elevator and through all these barriers of uh, being safe while coming back as a whole group, you know, shifting arrival times, maybe even shifting days of week work. Uh, somebody comes in Monday, Wednesday, Friday, somebody else Tuesday, Thursday, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of material out there. I think what was best done by the hackathon, the content's great and it's really rich, but just the social connectedness we had with one another while we were doing it, to me, was the best outcome of all of it. Thanks for that, Joel Patrick. What do you? I would agree, Brian, with Joel, that that was a great social experiment. And we're actually going to see a lot of those social experiments happening as communities come back. And if you want to see what workplace might be challenged with or dealing with or get some ideas on how to make the workplace vibrant, watching how your community comes back and how people interact will be good insight. I think that's one of the things that we've learned before, during, and after the pandemic is that the workplace of the future is going to be a community for work, mm. even more so because of the pandemic than before. So what are those structures? What can we learn from urban planning and design? What can we learn from community design in terms of the physical structure of a community, the way place making works? Because people make place, right? What's the narrative for a community to have a certain reputation or certain character, right? Uh, workplaces will start to learn from that. And I think if we begin to study beyond sort of the narrow focus of how we might create a traditional workplace, how we arrange a room, which is important, which furniture we pick, which is certainly important, but think more broadly about people and behavior and habits and the way people interact. And as leaders, make sure we're transparent about what we know and what we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and encourage people to now utilize space in a way that's going to be more effective and make it okay to change. Also make it okay to make some mistakes along the way. Yeah, that's key. Because when everything's unknown, you're experimenting. We're all experimenting right now. And that's the key is, you know, how big of an experiment are you willing to make? I think Joel had said something about you know, too small to fail. Uh, I like that idea of creating small opportunities for testing something and then learning from it and move forward. Absolutely. Sure. Well, Joel, Patrick, I want to thank you both for joining us today. Um, hopefully you had some fun. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions presented by BHDP for this episode, Workplace Paradigm Shift with Joel Radikin, Workplace Strategy Leader of Real Estate Facilities for TD Ameritrade, and Patrick Donnelly, Workplace Client Leader and BHDP Shareholder. If you appreciate what you have heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I'm Brian Trainer, your host, and I hope you'll join us for another episode of Trends and Tensions to see what topics drive design.